All right, everyone, good morning. Uh, come on in and grab a seat. We do have some seats in the front row. We have some seats kind of scattered. If you look, we probably need, we might need ushers here in the future, kick it old school. Um, but we have about six, seven empty seats. So in the front row, we've got three. Second row, we've got two. And we've got two on the sides here. Uh, if you're new, my name's Andy, one of the pastors here at Restored. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will um, dive into our time of teaching. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that when you call us, uh, you call us into family. Uh, thank you that you didn't leave us alone in our sin or our woundedness, our alienation, our isolation, but that you, you brought us near to yourself. You transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. And in that kingdom, there is a family. And in that family, there are relationships and thank you that you teach us a new way. And so this morning, I pray that you would speak through me and in spite of me. And that you would take the things that you want from your word to, um, I pray that, that you know, as, as, as seed is sown from your word, that uh, it would take root in the right spaces and places. And that you would do your thing in our hearts, that you would cause the growth. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're, new, um, if you're new, welcome. My name is Andy, one of the pastors here at Restored. Um, and if you are new, it's kind of a, it is a weird week to be new because we're in the last week of a 10-week series, okay? Now, I don't, I don't want you to feel too bad about that. I'm going to get you caught up real quick um, with a very long, fun intro, all right? Um, but if you're new, again, we've been in a series called Healthy Relationships. And so what we've been doing the last 10 weeks is saying, what does it look like to do what God calls us to do? And Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God and neighbor with your whole, your whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and self. Like loving God and loving people. And so that's what this healthy relationships are loving relationships. But loving is Jesus defines loving. And so we've been working through this. Uh, Grant kicked off the series looking at that very idea that this is what we're called to. And then I, um, I was kind of the bad news guy. Uh, I came in and said, what keeps us from loving well? And I talked about um, the distraction of technology and unhealed trauma and unrepentant sin and moving too fast to love people well. And then Jamie from Durban, South Africa came and he defined what love was according to Jesus. And then we began uh, a couple weeks ago, we began a four week mini series where we looked at where we love. Uh, what are the spaces, places, the spheres of influence, the spheres of relationships we have? And so we looked at um, the workplace. Um, uh, Julia taught uh, tremendously on friendship. Uh, Jackie taught on parenting. I taught on marriage. As we looked at these different areas, you know, uh, again, friendships, uh, we talked about they're way more important than you actually, than you, you might realize from a New Testament perspective and worldview. And then we talked about how, um, man, the workplace also, you know, we would want to elevate that. You spend a lot of time at your work. And so you, how you treat people at work is really how you treat people. And then obviously, we, we, a lot of us know, obviously, that marriage and parenting are important. But we just said, man, we all have these different relationships. And so we looked at those different areas. And then last week, Grant talked about building a life of love, a life of, where healthy relationships are possible. He talks about a rule of life or creating rhythms that help you love well. Which leads us to today. It's the last message in the series. Uh, I'm kind of the closer. Like, I'm not the best pitcher, but I might be able to keep us from losing this series. So again, we covered so many different angles when it comes to having loving, healthy relationships. And so today I want to talk about one more thing. I want to consider one more thing. And I actually struggled with a name for this message because I wanted to talk about really two things. I wanted to talk about the, traje the trajectory of our relationships kind of where are our relationships heading if we continue doing what we're doing. And then I wanted to talk about the legacy of our relationships. What are we going to leave behind one day? What will our, what will our relational wake be, our relational impact be? But the struggle to name the message ended when I realized they're kind of two sides of the same coin because the legacy of our relationships comes down to the current trajectory of those same relationships. Like what, that, what your relationships will be in the end will be the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly investments you made into the relationships. Because a lifelong relationship is ultimately just a set of moments, these day in and day out, seemingly low-key, habitual moments that make up our entire lives. Your life is just a bunch of moments. Often, um, when I do pastoral care with someone, the first thing I need to do to care for them well is listen to their story. 
I ask them to think about the big turning points in their lives. And I say, hey, um, you don't need to tell me everything that's ever happened to you, but it'd be good to know um, kind of the big things, both positive and negative, that you believe have shaped who you are today. And, uh, and usually these are a link to relationships. Most uh, of our, um, most of our sin is committed against people and most of our trauma is experienced at the hands of other people. Most of our wounding happens at the hands of other people. So, um, most of our big picture turning points are not, I got a bunch of money. Oftentimes it's, or I lost a bunch of money. A lot of times it's connected to relationships, um, family, friends. You had a positive relationship with a parent or a negative one. But what's interesting is, is often there are these explosive, large relational moments that people will point to, like a divorce or, you know, um, adultery or financial ruin or whatever it is. But oftentimes, um, oftentimes the big moment isn't big in and of itself. Oftentimes the big moment is the straw that broke the camel's back. Or... It's something that wouldn't have been possible without long patterns of neglect or unhealthy, kind of sinful, dysfunctional stuff. Um, uh, I have a friend whose parents got a divorce because the husband bought books and lied about it. I'm talking like $28 worth of books. And you look at that, you're like, man, that wife was really controlling about finances. Or you look at it and go, man, she hated books. <laughs> More of a movie person. She's like, we could stream with that money. Get a Kindle. You know, have you heard of Scribd? What are you doing? But actually, what, what it came down to was there was a long term, there were decades of deceit and adultery and deception in the marriage. And she's like, I just can't do another lie, even if it's low key. It's, it's too, there's no small lie at this point. The accumulated impact of that. Uh, does something. Um, you know, there could be a moment, right? Like, like a lot of us look back maybe to a, a tough relational moment. A lot of times it's connected to a moment that should have been a celebration, like a birthday or Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that. And it just was not that. There was an explosive moment with anger and yelling, maybe a physical component, maybe stuff got thrown. But oftentimes, right, like that doesn't just happen in a moment. Someone says something they can't put back in the box or does something they can't undo. Oftentimes what precedes that is a lifetime of relational stuff that bleeds out at Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's the arena. They've been training for years. It's Patrice, you know, it's like Uncle Javier punches Uncle Jim and it's like, whoa, what happened? It's like, no, man, Uncle Javier and Jim have been beefing for a while. Maybe it's been under the surface. Also, mom favors Jim over Javier for years. So here we are. And so we can go on and on and on, but often big painful moments, often they're the cumulative effect of moments adding up over time, or it's someone neglecting a responsibility they should have had to protect someone and they didn't for a very long time, or they didn't look at the finances for a very long time, and then something terrible happens. So there's big painful moments, but often again, they're the cumulative effect of moments added up over time. On the flip side, when you talk to people who had very positive relationships with their siblings, with their parents, with their church community as a kid, whatever it is, oftentimes they don't point to individual moments. Like they can come up with them if they have to, if they had the means, like, oh yeah, we had a cool vacation once or whatever, or, you know, or they might point to you know, some holiday moments. But often it's like, man, my parents are just there and they're loving and they're consistent. Like I know how they make me feel. I'd have to like slow down to think about the moments because it's just so much of it's consistent and good and beautiful. It's the day in, day out. They made my lunch. When I fell, they asked if I was okay. They taught me how to do things. They held me accountable. They nurtured me. They were, does that mean, they were loving, consistent presence. And so I want to start this message by asking um, where, and friendships are no different like great friendships. It's like, what are the best moments in this friendship? Even if it's like your best friends, you might take a second. It's like, okay, this is probably the best moment maybe, you know, but ultimately you're gonna go, it's a good friendship because of what the day in and day out was, what the experience was together. And so I want to start this message out by just asking, where are your relationships heading and why do you think they're heading there? And do you want to go where they're going? And to assist in that, I want to take a moment to do a little, uh, little prayer exercise. It, by the way, if you're weirded out by this, you don't have to participate. I'm going to take about five minutes. I'm going I'm to ask us to close our eyes and ask the Spirit to speak to us. Um, I, spoiler alert, sometimes at church we pray. I know, I know. It always shocks people. Um, but if you are uncomfortable, no pressure. You can 
step outside. You can you can not close your eyes and look at everyone else and judge them. You can do whatever you want to do. No pressure. But for those of us who are interested, I want to take a moment. I want to ask you to just close your eyes. And I want you to imagine a place where you feel both safe and happy. So take a moment, and it might be helpful to just get present to yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. A place where you feel both safe and happy. And it could be an imaginary place that God just like makes for you. He's like, oh, you love all this stuff. Here it is. Or it may be a place you've actually been to before, a place of happiness and safety. And so um, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes closed these next few minutes. If you're able to imagine that place, would you just raise your hand and get a feel for where we're at? Okay, cool. Put your hands down. Keep your, keep your eyes closed. And uh, I just want you to actually be in that place. I want you to try to enjoy that place. Whether it's the visual beauty, the warmth. And when you're able to, I would encourage you to um, ask Jesus to reveal himself to you in this place. To actually imagine Jesus. Say, Jesus, I would love it if you join me in this picture you're able to just see take a second to just see what he does again if you're able to see if you're able to see Jesus or you think is Jesus just raise your hand okay put your hands down and I want you to just consider what Jesus is doing you see close to you? Is he kind of far away from you? Is he walking towards you? Is he keeping his distance? What's, what's his countenance? Is he, is he happy? Does he look sad? Is he excited? Just kind of take Take in who Jesus is for a second in this beautiful place. I encourage you now to just ask Jesus if there's anything he wants to say to you. Ask him if there's anything he wants to say to you or wants you to know. Just listen. And again, if you don't hear anything, that's okay. like you have a sense of what he wants to say to you or what he wants you to know just raise your hand hang there for a few more seconds Now with your eyes still closed, I want to encourage you to kind of shift scenes. I want you to actually imagine yourself somewhere different. I want you to imagine yourself as an elderly person. You, not just a random elderly person, you. <laughs> you're like, well, I'm Morgan Freeman. You know, not you're not Morgan Freeman. But you're you. And I actually want you to imagine maybe like the last year of your life. I want you to imagine you're, you're someplace. 
that you think you actually will be. So just take a moment, try to imagine that you're there. It could be a home, your home, could be a retirement home, could be hospital, but I want you to imagine it's like your last year of life. I just want you to take in the surroundings. Who's there with you? Who's not there? Kind of what are you wearing? What are you sensing? This might seem kind of weird, but I want you to um, I want you to actually ask. <laughs> I want you to ask old you some questions. As you think about who this person is, how do you think how do you think they're interacting with people at this point in their life? What's important to them? At this point of their life, at this point of your life, what are some things that seem important now, your twenties, thirties, forties, that aren't important to you now that you're in old age? What do you think you'll regret when you're this age? What do you think you'll be known for? And as you consider this person, this elderly you, um, will your relation will your relationships be close mostly? Or will they be estranged? mostly. And then lastly, what will your relationship with God be like? Are you more peaceful or are you more anxious as you get closer to the end of your life? Do you have more joy or more anger Now, uh, last thing I want to do before we open our eyes is, is I just want you to ask Jesus again to enter the picture. But this time I want him to enter wherever, wherever you are as an elderly person. Again, take in what he's wearing. Take in what he's doing. And I'd love for you to ask him just one more time. Is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want me to know? Anything you want me to feel? Anything you want to say to me about this idea? My life, my legacy, my relationships. I'll give you a second. Now, over the next 15 seconds, uh, you can slowly begin to open your eyes. If you want to open them right away, you can. But if the rest of you encourage you just to kind of slowly kind of come back to this space. And realize there's still an hour-long sermon in front of you. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. should be short. Now, real quick, I'm not going to have you come up here and share over the mic. Um, but how many, how many of you felt uh, nervous thinking about what your life might be like at that point? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you guys felt excited? 
cool, cool. Okay, cool. How many guys felt nervous and excited? All right. Now, again, uh, there, there's a blend. Uh, by the way, this was a really unique audience situation. Like, almost everyone raised their hand, but no one did it more than a third. Like, it was a lot of this. It was like T-Rex. <laughs> Bunch of T-Rex is just saying, yeah, that's me. So, anyways, uh, thanks for participating. Um, what I want you to catch is your life will be somewhere at some point, and you will be formed into someone. Again, who do you want that to be? What do you want? And for today's purposes, what do you want your relationships to look like? And how should we relate to one another now if we want to look back on a healthy legacy of relationships? Uh, my dad is the youngest of 11 kids. It's a lot of kids, man. Um, and his parents uh, were poor, very poor. And uh, um, whatever, they, they just had a lot of kids, a lot of need, a lot going on. Uh, matter of fact, I've been doing, I did genogram interviews this past year and I called up my oldest living uncle, my uncle Chuck, and I called him and, and it was funny. I was like, man, uh, uncle Chuck, can you maybe do like a Zoom interview? And he's like, Andrew, I don't know what the hell that is. So I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> He's like, I don't get that crap. I was like, all right, all right. Sorry for the C word uh, that threw you. I'm really sorry. Uh, we, can, we can talk about it. Um, but we're talking, and I said, you know what's crazy is you grew up in like a different house than my dad did because you're so much older. And he's like, yeah, you know, um, I was in the army when your dad was born. <laughs> it's his brother, you know? So I was like, man, so I was like, you have a, a perspective on the family that, you know, my dad doesn't have and stuff. And um, he said, it is like we grew up in two different families. And the thing that I can say about my dad's siblings is they all beef all the time. There's one brother, literally, they don't know, they, like he bounced. Like that character in the Sandlot, he got really into the 60s and no one knows what happened to him. They've got a guy like that. They're like, we think he's in Florida. It's like, cool. Um, they, they spread out. They, a lot of them didn't come back. Uh, people die. They don't all go to the funeral. There's people that are estranged for years. Then there's members of that generation who don't talk to their kids um there's a bunch of like uncles who are closer to their nephews and their sons they kind of trade trade sons and nephews and says like all right you're i'm gonna treat your nephew like my son you treat my son like your nephew and we all hate each other um they do that kind of thing and 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 what i want you to catch though is it's like i don't think uh my grandma my name uh, my meme sorry different not my Nana, my Meme. I don't think my Meme Marie was like, when she started her family, like, you know what? We're going to have a bunch of kids and they're going to hate each other. They're not going to talk. Matter of fact, when I die, it's going to be a huge moment where everyone um, doesn't come together. They actually reject each other and blame each other for things. And then we do that for 40 years or whatever. So he here's what I want to say is I don't think also growing up, the siblings were like, you know what? We're going to hate each other when we're older, right? I'm being mean to you now, so when you're 40, you will never come to my house, right? I don't think that was happening, right? Like, I think they were just doing life, doing relationships, being people, but I don't think they were being intentional. That's what's crazy. You don't have to, you don't have to try to have negative relationships. You have to work to have healthy ones. If you just let it flow, it gets real bad real quick. And so um, what I want to do today is, is I want to ask us, man, how do we want to relate to each other so that we have a healthy legacy of relationships? Because not every family is like that. There are big families who also were poor who are healthy, like they really are. There are churches that are really unhealthy. There are churches that are really healthy. We can go on and on and on. So what I want to do is look at a passage of scripture where Paul kind of highlights and illuminates what gospel-centered, healthy, loving relationships look like. And honestly, this is definitely AMPM text. It's not an NT AMP. It's too much good stuff, all right? Like, we're not going to cover everything that's in here, but we're going to hit two big ideas, all right? So Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 to 610. Paul says this. And, and by the way, the, the letter to the Galatians, we, we've talked through it before. It's about a group of people who um, were trying to justify themselves by their works or their performance. In other words, they were trying to create an identity for themselves outside of the love of God. They're like, check me out. I'm better than you because I boom, boom, boom. And, and, and so because they're relating to God and I need to be a good boy or good girl to get loved, a lot of insecurity snuck into their hearts because the way that we relate to God, it impacts how we relate to others. Like your vertical relationship has to impact your horizontal relationships. So if you're insecure here or self-righteous here, whatever it is, you're going to take that over here. 
if you feel inferior here, you're going to try to be superior over here. And so Galatians 5 into 6 is a transition from Paul saying, we relate to God on the basis of grace and grace alone. That's how we relate to God. And then he's going to go, that should impact your relationships. And because you've not been relating to God this way, you've been legalists, you're ju you feel judged by God all the time. Now you're judging each other all the time. So it moves from the vertical to the horizontal in relationships. So Galatians chapter 5, verse, 20, uh, verse 25. And Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And, and, and walking by the Spirit in the epistle to the Galatians is this idea of finding our justification in Jesus. It, it, it's looking to him for identity. It's looking to him for justification. And it's becoming like him, Jesus. He says, if that's happening, if you're walking with the Spirit, with this new identity, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual... Restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Again, spiritual here is you're relating to God by the spirit, you know, through his grace. You're not relating to God, you know, by works of the law. Verse 2, and then it says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself something, uh, himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, finding this building up this fake identity, right? Like I'm, I'm pretending to be bigger than I really am or better than I really am. And then verse four says, let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else for each person will have to carry his own load. Um, and uh, Julia talked about this the other day. There are things that we're responsible for and other people are responsible for. Verse six, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the teacher. Hope that's a memory verse for you guys. Just kidding. And then verse 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let us not grow tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, but especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, again, there's a lot here about gospel-centered, healthy, loving relationships. There's stuff on identity, which we'll get into. There's stuff on serving one another. There's stuff on uh, empathizing with one another. Uh, there is stuff on not comparing yourself to one another. Uh, there is stuff on investing into one another. And there's this commitment to not give up on one another. So there's a lot there. Um, I want to look at two things in this passage, and I think two keys for a healthy relational legacy, and they're identity and intentionality. Identity and intentionality. So the first one, again, identity. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. We'll pop back up. Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, this verse indicates that our relationships with others, are, again, are determined by um, not just our view of God, but our view of ourselves. So, for example, if you always feel rejected, you'll bring that into relationships with someone who's not necessarily rejecting. Like, you bring that narrative to the table whether or not you are being rejected. So, for example, if you feel loved, you're going to bring that in the room with you to other relationships. And so, uh, our view of ourselves impacts our relationship with others. Now, Paul's saying, get your identity from Jesus, have a secure identity, and then walk into rooms in a healthy way. But again, these people were, were, were functioning in a religious performance uh, with God type of a thing. And when we think we can earn love or generate love from others or find a deeper identity anywhere other than in the love of Jesus, when we forget our identity as beloved sinners, our relationships get weird quick. Insecurity takes over and we become conceited. Self-righteousness takes over and we become proud. So Paul says... Um, let us not become conceited, provoking one another. Now, conceited, um, I actually, I learned the word conceited in like seventh grade at Chulavista Middle School. And a girl was like, she's conceited. And it was just like, okay. And it was like stuck up, if that makes sense, if that's how you think of it. Uh, uh, now, conceited is, um, that's part of it. Um, but, but in the Greek here, it's not just um, this idea that you're better. It's the idea that, that you have a, a false view of yourself. 
So it could be too high or too low of a view. It's this idea that essentially what it is is we have a false view of ourselves in relation to other people. So um, that seventh grade girl who said conceited a bunch of times, uh, she was saying, hey, that girl thinks she's better than us. She was using it right. But also it's the idea that you might think that you're inferior. So it's the idea that you feel either superior or inferior in your identity in relationships to other people, which I know doesn't impact relationships in 2023, right? But it does. It's like, man, we go, man, I, I make more money than you. I have a better job than you. My pain is worse than yours. I live in a cooler neighborhood. I've got whatever it is. I'm more important than you. Or you have everything. You have the family I want or the house I want. Or um, you seem more important because of what you've been through. And so the idea is, is to be conceited, it's a failure to perceive ourselves in light of the gospel. This idea, um, we are bad and deserve nothing good. But God in his grace gives us everything. But again, this Greek adjective, it, 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 the commentator says, it denotes someone that has an opinion about his or herself that is false. Now here's the thing, if we have a false view of ourself, that, that doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Like, that impacts other people. That doesn't just happen on an island. It happens in relationship to other people, right? Because it's in comparison to others. And that causes us to do things to other people. And Paul lists both of them. He says, don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. So provoke, in Greek, it literally means to challenge someone to a contest. <laughs> I just think that's crazy. When you think about the way people flex, it's like, it's a challenge to a contest. I challenge you to a social duel. We, we believe ourselves to be better, and we feel the need to prove it. That's provoking. We're so convinced of our superiority for whatever reason that we got to demonstrate it. And you remember, the person who functions according to this false dichotomy of good and bad always demands recognition for being good, right? I find identity through performance, and it's not just, in their case, it was religious performance. For you, it might be something else. Again, work, money, relationships, body type, whatever it is for you, you're like, this is what's amazing about me. It causes you to, 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 to like look for attention. So you're constantly trying to, uh, another idea, if you're provoking people, you're constantly trying to one-up other people. Does that make sense? You didn't go on a vacation. You went on a better vacation than they went on. You didn't get a man. You got a better man than they'll ever get. You're not enjoying uh, your house. You have a better house than they have. You're not just spiritual. You're way more spiritual than they are, Right? So it could be uh, religion or spirituality. It could be material things. Um, it could be my family is better than yours. 2023, my trauma is worse than yours. <laughs> I'm better looking than you, right? My wedding, this isn't a cel right? Weddings used to be a celebration of a man and woman saying, I'm committing to you for the rest of my life. And now it's like, I threw a better party than you threw. And I'm inviting you. <laughs> I have better maternity photos than you. Weird flex happens. It got real weird for a while. My birthing plan superior to the tear. What are you going to get, epidural? You're so weak. Like back in the day, people didn't even know. They were like, hey man, she get epidural? It's like, mind your business. <laughs> Meaning breakfast, Gary. Can I see your birthing plan? No, you can't see my birthing plan. Then you have the baby, it's like, man, my baby never cried. Does your baby cry? Doesn't sound good, dude. <laughs> right, there's all these moments where we can find superiority about our narratives or our thing or whatever it is. And we provoke. But on the other end, we can envy, Paul says. This is when we fail to ground our identity in who Jesus says we are, get accepted and adored, even though we don't deserve it. We then succumb to feelings of defeat, inadequacy, and not measuring up the other side of that like real ugly coin and so with jealousy it sounds similar to what we often think it's when we're convinced not only that we're performing worse than others but that that makes us worse than others i don't just have a house that isn't as nice as yours because i don't i'm less than you or it's not just that you're beautiful it's i, I don't think i am so again i'm using a person to determine my value it's 
you know, man, you're so spiritual. Instead of going, hey, I would love to learn from you. Like you see some of the great prayer life. You're like, I would love to learn from you. You're like, man, they're just always, you know, they always have a better, you know. There was a run. I don't know if it's still happening. I've been on social media in like 10 years. There was a run where people would put like their Bible and their coffee up like all the time. It's like, Pete, my devotional game is like, I, why? Why do we need to do that? You'd see, like, I didn't have a devotional today or whatever it is, you know, and, and you just get jealous, right? You get, you get information about people. Man, you got a new car. You got, oh, your kid's cute. Oh, you broke up with that guy because he wasn't good enough for you. Like the last four guys. And I would love just one guy. And when you're, when you feel envious and jealous, what you do is you spread rumors, you gossip, you tear others down because you don't get your identity in Jesus. And here's what I mean by identity in Jesus. Because God loves me, I don't need to worry about what other people think of me. And I don't mean in like a self-righteous, like Tupac, like me against the world. Like it doesn't matter. I do whatever I want. You just have to live with it. You deal with it. You can't judge me. I'm talking about that. The Bible says they can judge you. I'm talking about what you think of me does not define me. Jesus does. So often the way we treat people is directly related to how we view ourselves. So we're going to have healthy relationships. We've got to know, hey, I don't deserve to be loved, and I am more loved than you could ever imagine. If we have too high a view of ourselves, we'll walk over people and hurt them. Galatians 5.15 says we'll bite and devour. If we have too low a view of ourselves, we'll, we'll fight to pull ourselves up and others down. Again, this leads to a, bro a broken, unhealthy legacy of relationships. This is broken marriages. It's a trail of ruined thanksgivings. This is life in the flesh, not life in the spirit, Paul says. But we want to subdue conceit. We want to put it to death. And the way that we do that is we come back to the identity we've been given in the gospel of Jesus, that we were off on our own. Our relational reality was we were isolated. We were by ourselves. We were guilty, we were lonely, we were afraid, we were wounded, we were on our own, and it was our fault. The New Testament says we were enemies of God. It's not like, oh, you got kind of lost. It's like we were enemies. We wanted to do our own thing. And God, in his grace, sends the, he becomes human in the man of Jesus Christ. God the Son enters human history. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. The incarnation happens. Jesus does what no God has ever done. He enters into human history. He puts on flesh. He is born of a teenage mother in a poor rural area. And he lives a perfect life that you and I could never live. And he, go, he feels emotions and he experiences relational betrayal and abuse and pain and rejection. And he loves perfectly as that's happening to him. And then he dies in our place. He makes forgiveness possible. He makes reconciliation with God possible. And then he rises again in victory three days later. It's the other big holiday on Christmas, Easter. And when he rises again, he says, it worked. It's true. Like a reconciliation with God can happen. And the veil is torn in the temple. He ascends to heaven, and then everything begins to change, and we can now be made right with him when that's our reality, and it can't change because it's based on his faithfulness, not ours. So when we have that, that gospel reality, we go, my king came for me, and I didn't deserve it. I brought him nothing, and he gave me everything. In light of that, it's a pretty securing, grounding identity, actually, because you can't lose it. Uh, we've quoted this nine million times, but Tim Keller used to always say, in the gospel, I realize that I'm more wicked than I ever dared believed, but I'm more loved and accepted by Jesus than I ever dared hoped at the very same time. A lot of us can get with guilt and shame, but not love. And a lot of us can get with, I feel loved and accepted, but it's like, well, because they're, I'm an imposter. They don't really know the real me. It, you know, but when you go, no, you know the real me, you see through all my ridiculousness, and you love me the same, you're free. That's what we long for. That's what human relationships are supposed to reinforce, parents and, and, and friends and spouses and brothers and sisters, and, and we fail to do it so often, which messes us up. But it's ultimately designed to go, hey, there's a space where you're fully known and fully loved. I know the ridiculous stuff you do, and I still choose to love you. And when we get that, our attitude towards people will no longer be, I'm better than you and I'll prove it, or I'm worse than you and I hate you, but I'm, uh, I am unworthy and yet precious to God. 
and so are you, brother or sister. We don't need to tear people down. We don't need to gossip about people. We don't need to judge. We wouldn't find our identity in politics, so we wouldn't ruin everything with it all the time. We'd vote and keep it moving. We wouldn't cut people off relationally. We wouldn't look, need to look down on others. We'd actually be able to celebrate and enjoy our fellow brothers and sisters for whom Jesus died. And so I just want to ask this question. Imagine if you were free from comparing yourself to and competing with other people. Imagine you didn't have to check in with other successes and failures to know where you stood, where your value stood. Like imagine if you didn't believe your identity was graded on a curve. And it's just, I know who I am. Imagine not feeling like you have to impress people because Jesus is already impressed with you. He values you enough to die for you. You don't need to create or generate value or generate identity or generate love. You receive all of those things. And I'm telling you, the person that gets that, not just up here, but in here, is a safe, secure person who will be a blessing in their relationships. Because when you get that, it allows you to do the, the second thing I'm going to talk about, intentionality. When you're not insecure, you can risk asking if things are okay. You can apologize and say, it's my fault because you know what it's like. You know, yeah, I'm a sinner. I do stuff. It's going to be my fault sometimes. I don't have to always be self-righteous or proud. I can just say, I'm sorry. Jesus died for me. I know I have a need. I know I'm not always right. Um, so real quick, I want to look at this idea of intentionality. Uh, it's um, seven to nine, and this really impacts this discussion around legacy. Seven to nine says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for you will reap at the proper time if you don't give up. So this passage highlights, again, the second idea of intentionality. Paul's talking about um, sowing and reaping. A uh, friend of the program, a guy named Paul Tripp, you guys remember him? Uh, in his book on marriage, and this applies to all relationships, he says this about this passage, and I love this idea. He talks about having a harvest mentality when it comes to your relationships. He says, if you're ever going to live with daily awareness of little moment needs that propel you to live a life with habits of reconciliation, you have to carry this mentality around with you. You have to buy into the principle of consequences. Here it is. There's an organic relationship between the seeds you plant and the fruit you harvest. In the physical world, you will never plant uh, peach pits and get apples. If you plant peach pits and get apples, run fast and run long because something terrible has happened to the universe. In the same way, there will be organic consistency between the seeds of words and actions that you plant in your relationship and the harvest of a certain quality of that relationship. Every day you harvest relational plants that have come from the seeds of words and actions that you have previously planted. And every day you plant seeds of words and actions that you will one day harvest. Most of the seeds you plant will be small, but 1,000 small seeds that grow up into trees result in an environment-changing forest. So one way to look at it is, is you're planting a forest. That's this, this relational legacy. I want to build strong relationships that last, that are healthy. So again, Tripp talks about this harvest mentality in our relationships. Again, like a crop, we, 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 we have to tend. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no farmer, for the record. It's just full disclosure. You know, At this point in my life, I'm a, I'm a man who doesn't work with his hands. Uh, I type, you know. I had, a, I had a short run. I had a year run. Let me tell you about it. I had a short run. Didn't work out well. All right. So whatever. Uh, I'm not a farmer. Um, but here's what you need to know about farming. It takes a lot of consistent intentionality. Um, they have to tend the soil 
because we live in a fallen world and without intentionality, things get worse, not better. There are pests. There are floods. There are um, th- there's soil problems. You get the idea. There's a lot you have to tend to over time. You, you plant too many seeds in the wrong place. All that stuff. Over time, you, something happens. Um, growing, I mean, you guys like going to the dentist? Anybody? No, right? Pretty much no one. Every once in a while, right? You like that squeaky clean feel. Um, a lot of people don't like the dentist. It's consistently in the top five fears people have. Um, and, uh, and, and in light of that, oftentimes people get themselves into trouble trying to avoid the dentist, right? You're like, oh, I got a little bit of a toothache. It'll be fine, right? I don't, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not great, but it's all right. Uh, it hurts a little bit. It hurt. I think my jaw's falling off. And then we go in, they're like, cool, man. It's time for a root canal, right? It's not going to organically get better on its own. It needs intervention. That's life in a fallen world. Things decay. Richard John Denner, things move towards atrophy, not health. That's life in a fallen world. Our bodies, our souls, our relationships. If we're not working on it, it's just going to get worse. Jackie and I, when we first um, got married, um, we both grew up with not a ton of money. And then we got married and had very little money. Uh, you know, married in 1918. We were crushing financially. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I bought her an engagement ring I had to take back to K Jewelers. So I was like, I can't do it. Uh-huh. I can't do it. Um, and uh, credit was just tremendous. Uh, but, but, but one of the things that we would do uh, is like the last week of the month, we'd be like, I don't want to look at the bank account. We are legit paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to look at it. And it was kind of like, when it's overdrafts, we'll know. You know. When there's no money, we'll know. And uh, it sounds so dumb. It sounds so dumb. It makes no sense. We had a couple of year run. It was like, that's kind of how we operated. And we were terrified. And we were basically married children. You know what I mean? We weren't married with children. We were married children. Got no direction on that. And um, yeah, and you know what would happen? We would run out of money. It's shocking. Uh, we'd run out of it. And uh, we probably would have done better um, had we not. Anyways, um, my point is, is we often, we, out of fear, we don't want to look at stuff that makes us a little uncomfortable like tension in a relationship. We're pretty sure it's there, but we don't really want to know. We need to know. We've got to be intentional. Again, this is a world that moves towards atrophy, not health. This is true throughout the story of Scripture. Israel moves from exodus to idolatry fairly quickly. It's like 40 days later, and they're worshiping idols. God just delivered them from slavery in Egypt. They're like, you know what? Let's go worship a golden cow right now because it's taken too long, and I want some meat. Um, you know, uh, from deliverance to debauchery, you see throughout the book of Judges, there's this pattern with God's people. It's after the Exodus and they're in this cycle of needing God and then remembering God. They're rescued by God. They receive prosperity and then they forget him all over again and while out in sin all over again. It's like once a generation and then God raised someone up to save them. You see with David, he goes from victor to villain. He kills Goliath, and then he ends up uh, a murderous adulterer. That didn't happen like day one to day two. He wasn't like full of God, full of God's, <laughs> full of faith in the power of Yahweh. And he's like, I'm going to steal that guy's wife. But there's time in between, and there's a lack of intentionality in between. You see, with Peter, uh, he preaches at Pentecost. He preaches, and thousands of people, three thousand men get saved in a day. Probably five, six, seven thousand men, women, and children get saved huge moment. The Holy Spirit falls. The church is birthed while he's preaching, and he's fearless when he does it. He sees the temple officials. He sees the Roman centurion. Like, he sees persecution in front of him. He's already been lashed with whips that have hooks on them. He knows what it could cost him, and he's not afraid anymore. Like, when he denied Jesus, and he's pumped up, and he goes from Pentecost to people-pleasing again in Galatians. He wants to fit in with his friends, and he becomes a legalist. Paul's writing about in Galatians, we've got to be intentional if we want to have a legacy, if we want to harvest something beautiful. It's a daily choice to be about the right things, starting with our relationship with Jesus. So intentionality was look like a few couple ideas, um, like, and this is going to sound funny, it's like keep doing the things you've learned in the series. You were given tools in the series. Um, you're never going to outgrow checking out assumptions. Like, it's, it, a lot of times, it's, it's, it's not new information that's needed. Often when I walk with people as a pastor, it's not new information that's needed. It's like accountability to do the thing you know you should do. You've already read the books. You've already learned the stuff. You've already watched the videos. You've already, it's like it's time to put that stuff in practi- into practice. So, man, um, checking out assumptions, 
checking in with people if it feels weird relationally, not avoiding it. Um, if you're not able to do this, grow in, you need to grow into this and you need help, but you've got to learn to give real unqualified apologies without an if, and, or a but. Like, I did that, but you did. It's like, no, 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 here's what I did. Here's what I wanted. Here's what I was about in that moment. It wasn't cool, and I did what I did. It was wrong. Will you forgive me? It looks like serving each other. We see that in Galatians 6. It looks like empathy, like listening, again, not being in a rush. It looks like pursuit. It's like pursuit. My iPad's freaking out a little bit. Um, right now, I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to go into communion. Communion is this unique thing because it, it's something, it, it's, it's an act that is, it's fixed on the, the vertical relationship with God. It's, it's remembering what Jesus did for us to make us right with God. But communion also reminds us, like, you know, it, Jesus said, hey, forgive us of our debts as we forget those who sinned against us. Commun Communion is a moment where you remember that you needed forgiveness, that you needed reconciliation, that you needed someone to take the first step to reconcile with you. And it reminds us we don't get to be proud and self-righteous. We need to move towards people. We, we need to forgiveness. Who are we to withhold forgiveness? We were reconciled. Who are we to withhold reconciliation? And so I just want to say, man, are you daily, consistently being intentional? Um, if you have a conflict, do you do the reparative work? Do you resolve it? And if you can't, do you get the help you need? Kids, how many people, they have conflicts, they just don't resolve them. It's like kind of explosive moment, don't really revisit it. Explosive moment, don't really revisit it. That has an impact on a relationship over time. That friendship will not be the same in 10 years. That marriage will not be the same in 10 years. You've got to resolve. Conflict's not the problem. It's the lack of resolution that really, does that make sense? And then the lack of ownership and responsibility for, for what made the conflict so painful in the first place. Um, being too busy to listen to a good friend or a spouse or your kids, like the cumulative effect of you're on your phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Last night, or two nights ago, it was, yeah, it was Friday, Julie came to me and said, me and Jack are going to go on a date night. And Calvin, uh, he came up to me and he was like, hey, can I get something? I have a, a thermos I've had all day. Mom gave it to me. Can I drink it? And it was his like water bottle. I'm like, yeah, man, just have the water, you know. And then uh, he comes into our living room and he has not a cup. He has a, a soup bowl with a like a handle and it's full of whipped cream. <laughs> And I was like, dude, what do you do? He said, you said I could have the hot chocolate mom made me this morning. So I was walking in in front of the other kids, like, I got a whipped cream bowl with chocolate at 7. I'm like, I didn't. He's like, you said I could. And I did. I did. I heard him say, can I have the water bottle? Why? Because I wasn't listening. And he even knew it. He's like, I knew you'd probably say yes because you're on your phone. Family, the effect of that, I know I appreciate the technology, the effect of that over time, the amount of times your kids tell you stuff with their eyes about being afraid or being bullied at school, or they're nervous about stuff that's happening to them, they're not sure if they can trust you or ask you about, or they feel guilty for something they did, like, they, like they're wearing it, you know, 60 to 85% or whatever of communications body language, and you don't look at their eyes, like they're telling you something verbally that sometimes you even miss the verbal, the, the cumulative effect of being on your phone and not being present to each other, man, that matters. It happens with friends over coffee too, it's not just your kids. People at work, God's put in place for you to love. And so, man, we've got to be intentional about what we do with our phones. We've got to be intentional about apologizing and doing reparative work. We've got to be intentional about asking what we can do to make things right. We need to be intentional about pursuing each other, right? Imagine a farmer is like, man, I sowed seed. 30 years later, I came back. The farm sucks. <laughs> it's like, well, you didn't really pursue tending that work. You weren't intentional for years. Of course it sucks, Farmer Jim should have been here, man. And some of us were just not there. And so I want to challenge you all today to do two things. As we go to communion, I want to challenge you to thank Jesus for the ide new identity he's given you. Like genuinely, like I don't deserve this new identity. Thank you for it. Like I really do need it. 
if I set aside kind of the fronting and pretending and posturing and all that stuff, like I need Jesus bad. And you do too, if you're honest. And the beauty is we've got him. We, we're covered. We're righteous. So thank him for that identity. And then the second thing I want to encourage you to do is go, in light of this new identity, who you, how, do you, how are you calling me to love differently in my day-to-day life? Is there anyone you want me to start with? Could be someone in this room. Could be someone you live with. Could be someone you work with. But I am not intentionally loving the way I should be. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll go into communion. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for coming for us. I thank you for reconciling us to yourself. It's not something we deserved. It's not something we earned. It's not something we impressed our way into, like we impressed you. It wasn't because we were prettier than everyone else or more handsome or smarter or had perfect political views or dressed right. No, it was you, like you found us. We, we had sinned, we had been sinned against. Like we really did need saving. We really did need reconciling, and you did it. You came for us. That's what Christmas is all about. You came for us. You lived for us. You died for us. You rose for us. And what's crazy is is you still come for us. Even when we walk away from you, you keep pursuing us. As we take communion, would we remember that beautiful pursuit and that identity that's been bestowed upon us that's so beautiful and so good the reality that everyone in this room who's faith in Jesus is delighted in by God right now, regardless of what they've got going on. They're delighted in right now. They're accepted right now. They're seen right now. They're adored right now because of Jesus. And so, Lord, would you make that truth real to us, that identity real to us as we go to the table? And then, Spirit, would you send us out to live in light of that, to be healthy, secure, safe presence in our relationship. In Jesus' name. Um, really quick, can I call Tara up? She wanted to share something that she felt God was sharing with her. Hey, guys, just a quick word that I had when um, Andy was preaching, um, just talking about how much easier it is to when a seed that's planted that's like a weed not super healthy when it sprouts up it's so much easier to pluck it from the soil and and get it out of there the roots aren't deep it's small it's really easy but if that grows into something really big and hard to tackle and if if you guys have ever tried to cut down um a tree you don't want or a really large weed it's very very difficult and the tendency is to cut it off, um, you know, at its, the, like, the trunk and get it out of there. But that can um, and kind of leave, like, the roots there. But the tendency is that will continue to grow back. And that's kind of like this behavior modification. Like, well, if I just change this one thing, then, you know, I'll get it out of there. And I won't really have to dig deep why it's happening or um, do the work to, to really get it out there. So I just wanted to encourage you guys that um, first to take it out before it goes into this big thing. Practice the small moments of reconciliation and forgiveness, calling yourself to um, own certain things, and then um, just know that if that does grow up, that um, it's really, really difficult to to get that out of there. It's not impossible, but you really have to, to put in the work and to get it out and to start like something new and fresh. So just wanted to encourage you guys in that, um, but yeah. Thank you, Tara. Um, Also, just in closing, um, a picture that I got as Andy was preaching was I feel like all of us can resonate with um, going, swinging to both ends of pride and despair or judging people, being very self-righteous, being very low on ourselves. Um, And I think sometimes we think about it and Andy brought up some examples but we think about it as like a pendulum swinging it's kind of like a slow process but I feel like actually it feels like a metronome like it's 
going even quicker than that um, with different issues, different people, different situations. It's constantly happening throughout our day. Um, and I think that can be a little bit overwhelming to think of. And uh, going to like the next point of being intentional with these things, almost everything that we do in our lives that's intentional is difficult. Uh, whether it's keeping to a diet, keeping to exercise, keeping up with friends, um, anything that you do, keeping up your car, <laughs> it's, it's all difficult. And so I just wanted to encourage us um, to really put our, our faith and our trust in Jesus to help us and the Spirit's help and then also our community's help to uh, be open to have people call you out and encourage you um, in moments when you might need it, uh, even if you don't see it. So I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll be done. Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, your love for us. I thank you for giving us a secure identity, not um, because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. That's just so comforting. Um, I pray that as we really, uh, for the rest of our lives, continue to become more secure, in our identity, um, that that would continue to impact how we treat others and how we relate to others. I pray um, for your help, Holy Spirit, um, in these intentional um, things that we want to implement in our lives and the relationships that you've uh, given to us. Help us, God. We need your help. We need your help, and we need the help of the people around us. Um, <coughs> I pray for deeper uh, relationships and deeper friendships to form and, and grow so that we can continue to point each other back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, have a good week. <laughs>